That's kind of you. Thanks so much. I am just going to move this because I tend to flail around a little bit. There's a 100% chance that I will knock it over or something. I think it's a bit tangled. But I think we're good. Hey, here we are in the powerhouse. It is so good to be with you all. So good. I mean, wasn't that time of worship? I mean, for me, that was enough. I don't need the sermon afterwards. Uh, Just to to be in God's presence, to be together, worshipping him, even though we can't sing. I don't know about you, but just the tangible presence of God with us. I'm so pleased to be back in a room. And if you're not able to join us in person, I know there's, there's plenty of people who would have loved to have been here that aren't able to be here. We are so missing you, aren't we, everybody? We are missing, just so you know, there's, there's lots of nodding going on. We are missing you and, not, and just longing for those days and praying for the day where we're able to be back with one another. This is a significant day for us. Uh, because it's been alluded to throughout our meeting already, but without a doubt, moving into the powerhouse is one of the clearest or the clearest example of us experiencing God's goodness and his generosity and his abundant provision for us as a church family. You are sitting in and sitting on, quite literally, an answer to prayer and God's provision. for. I mean, these chairs, we prayed for them and we said, God, would you find us some chairs? And he found us some chairs at a great price that we were able to get from another church. And the whole process of us moving into this new venue has been marked by the overwhelming goodness and provision of God. Can you believe it, for those of us that have been with us for this time, that it was just 12 weeks ago? that we received that email out of the blue from our previous venue in Fallowfield saying we're not going to be able to meet anymore and effectively we became homeless as a church. Just 12 weeks ago we got that email and I will admit to when that email came through, just a bit of mild panic, no more than that, just a little mild panic, but also actually something that I haven't experienced so much before, just a genuine conviction of we need to pray as a family. We need to pray. And as we pray, if we pray, he will speak and he will lead us on and he will provide. And so we prayed, didn't we? We responded and we said, look, we're going to come before God and say, would you move? And he did. And as we prayed like we'd never prayed before, he spoke. And we got all of these different prophetic pictures that made no sense whatsoever. We got pictures of shipping containers and we got pictures of sheds and uh, corrugated iron roofs and all kinds of different things. And it wasn't until we then got a picture of a brewery that then led us to, you might know, Heineken Brewery. You maybe saw it as you came in, just a, a stone's throw away, just over there. And, and it led us to investigate this place. And as we were thinking about it, praying into it, we then saw a, a patch of land that is, is not 50 yards away that then had a shipping container on it, had a shed with a corrugated iron roof. And you might not know this one, just came in recently. Someone from um, Grace Church in Nottingham, which is our sister church that planted us, when they were praying as we were investigating for our venue, they saw a picture of a giant traditional church and didn't really know what to do with it because they were like, well, that's not going to be the building that Revelation Church move into, so I'm not going to say anything. And so she just sat on it and then she, uh, so she saw this picture of a traditional church and then when she saw, when we announced, oh, we're going to the powerhouse, she went onto it on Google Street View so she could see it and she saw the, the, the giant traditional church that is right next door to us. You might have seen, I think it's called Church of God of Prophecy. Saw that, 
And as soon as she saw it, she said, that was the church that I saw. I think she might have had a dream or something like that even when she saw it. And again, just another confirmation of the, the little pieces of the puzzle around the powerhouse that God was leading us to. And then as we were weighing up, God, is this really where you want us to move into? Then confirming it through other various prophetic things, both inside the church and outside the church. And so quickly we went from homeless church to finding this venue, a place where we hope will be our long-term home that ticks so many of the boxes, is ideal in so many ways. And it is quite simply just an outrageously good gift from God for us as a family. And one of the, the words that we've been using as we've been thinking about this transition is, is a repositioning, that God is repositioning us as a church, both physically into a new place, but also spiritually, uh, and he's going to be doing a new thing, and that we're moving into a whole new chapter, and that's exciting, but it also means that we've got to give ourselves again and devote ourselves to following God and building his kingdom and, and, and working with him and laboring with him. And that there is, I believe, a call on us, uh, but also a call on the church UK-wide and probably worldwide post-pandemic life to, to devote ourselves once again to seeing his kingdom built. And we'll talk about that in the coming months. But today, for our first Sunday, enjoying this gift from our God, I just want us to take the time to revel in the goodness of God. God, to just celebrate his goodness, to enjoy and reflect on who he is, the good and generous God. And so my message today is simply called God is a giver. And I've got just one aim, and that is hopefully to help us all appreciate and love God's goodness and his generosity all the more. And we are going to use just one verse today that we're going to look at. And that is going to be from the Gospel of John. I know no better verse that demonstrates this. The Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16. So if you've got a Bible, do turn to John, chapter 3, verse 16. It'll appear on the back. I'll be reading from the ESV version. Let me read it to you. I know you may be familiar with it, but let's receive it again. God's Word. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life now you in this verse have history this is the most perhaps lots of people say it's the most well-known verse in the whole of scripture and for some of you, it will evoke joy whenever you hear it. Maybe the, the first time you properly heard it or properly understood it, you were, I don't know, in your university halls and someone shared it with you and opened it up and suddenly life itself started to make sense and suddenly you understood the greatness of the gospel, that this can be yours as a free gift. Or maybe for you, perhaps, it's a little bit more complicated. You know this verse is good. You know it's good. But it has somehow been stripped of all of its meaning because you grew up in a dusty old church where it was just repeated time and time and time again in the driest possible manner. And it just has lost its potency for you. 
We've talked before um, about lullaby verses that are just packed with such goodness, and so they have been repeated so often, but then they, uh, when we hear them, they kind of just send us to sleep a little bit. Maybe this verse is for you, or perhaps you fall somewhere in between on that spectrum. Today, I just want us to hear this verse again and reflect on the beauty of it together. The beauty that tells us of the very nature of God, his very essence, his very being. In this verse, Jesus is in a conversation with a man called Nicodemus. He's one of the Jewish leaders at the time. And Nicodemus is simply just trying to find out, figure out who is this Jesus guy. And uh, is he worth following? Is he, uh, is he a fraud? Is he actually worth listening to? And then in verse 16, because of the way that ancient Greek is written, we don't actually know, are these Jesus' words or are they actually just a a narration by the commentator John? In lots of ways, it doesn't really matter um, because whether it's, it's John or whether it's Jesus, it's the inspired word of God. And what John writes down is, let me read it again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So simple, and yet so profound. God loves, and so God gives to us. For God so loved, is how this verse opens up. And for my money, these four words, for God so loved, get to the heart of, get to the heart of who God is more than any other four words in the Bible. What I love about this verse is its intensity. This construct of ancient first century Greek, as it then is translated for us, comes out in exactly the way that we read it, that God so loves. That is how we're meant to receive it. There's an emphatic nature to this. It's an intensity. God so loves. The legendary author and theologian and pastor from the early 20th century, A.W. Tozer, in one of his most famous quotes says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The most important thing about us is what comes into our minds when we think of God. It is essential that we know the truth of who God is. Particularly in in a world now which would undermine either the character of who God is and question how he might be, or, of course, even question the very existence of whether God would exist. And here, in just four words, John draws us into the revealed truth of who God is. He is one who so loves. God does not love in part. He doesn't love temporarily. He doesn't love half-heartedly. His love is not fickle. He's not, he doesn't love like we love, where we, we, we oh, I love my new phone. 
And then just a week later, we see a different phone. <laughs> oh, I love that. I hate my old phone. When God loves, he loves with an all-consuming, complete and total love. For God so loved, so loved the world. The word world in John's gospel is absolutely loaded with connotations. It is talking about size and scale. It is saying this love of God is for everybody, for every person, every nation, whatever generation they might be from, the love of God goes out to all. But perhaps what wouldn't be picked up by our reading is that the word world throughout John's gospel is used for people who are living in active rebellion against God. That when the original readers and hearers of this book would read it, they would immediately come to mind. They would be thinking the most evil, the most pagan, the most godless nations are who John is talking about here. And he's talking about the nations that actively were working to seek to persecute God and persecute his people. And those are the people that God says, or John writes down, are so loved, the most evil, the most against God. When Jesus came into this world, he loved the world. That he was constantly, he, he prioritized those who deserved the love of God the least. Forever, the Jewish leaders were, were grumbling and moaning about Jesus. He, he, what's he doing? He's hanging out with the tax collectors and sinners, those that are furthest away from God, those that would have the least claim on God, the ones that had rebelled and gone against him the most. Those are the ones that Jesus was always with, loving, showing his goodness towards and what John is then writing down here in just one verse, just a few words, explicitly and scandalously, he is saying that this, the love of this good, pure, holy, righteous God is for the most wicked, the most depraved, the most far from him. Here we see God's love. It's not just for the lovely. God's love is not just for the lovable. It's not for those who have some kind of untapped potential just dormant inside them. Oh, maybe if they just get a little bit of God's love mixed in there, suddenly then they'll start to really fly and all of their gifting will start to come out. It's not just for those who look a little bit better than the person sat next to them or the person one meter away from them. His love is for the world, which means we do not have to try and make ourselves lovely or lovable. We don't have to try and clean up our behavior, clean up our appearance and try and uh, then hope and, and maybe, may, just maybe God will love me if I look good enough. We don't have to try and strive to show our potential, just thinking, if only I work hard enough, maybe, maybe God will notice me, maybe I will be 
catching his eye. We don't have to constantly be comparing ourselves to the person near us, to think, do I measure up? Am I good enough to receive this love? Will I make the grade? Now, this love, this these few ver- words at the f- beginning of this verse tell us that as we are, we are a people so loved. We are individuals so loved. And the only qualification we need to experience this love, the only qualification we need to receive this love is to know that we do not deserve it. To know that we have done nothing to earn this love. And once we know that, we can have as much of his love as we want. He so loved the world that he gave. This is a love that takes action. This is not a love that is passive, not a love that is just sentimental and is just a feeling existing out there somewhere in the universe. This is not a love that talks the right talk, but then in the end never really turns up and shows up. This is not a love that gets our hopes up, but will then ultimately let us down. This is a love that provides in full. This is a love that shows up and is expressed in the world that we live in. It turns up in a tangible way in our every day. This is a love that comes and meets us where we are at. This is a love that comes down into the world, shows up as a person, gathers over 5,000 people on a hillside, takes just five loaves and two fish, breaks them open just so he can then give and give and give and give and give and give and then give some more so that the people eating from these t- this tiny packed lunch can then eat and eat and eat until they are so full they can't even move. Don't you just love that feeling when you just like, I'm so full. And then even then, from this tiny packed lunch, there are 12 baskets left over. This abundant God that just comes down and just gives and gives and gives because he so loves. And just as he comes and loves those who in no way deserve it, have not earned it, he comes and gives to his people, gives to people, not because of anything they have done, but simply because he is a God who loves, and so he's a God that gives. He gives, and he gives, and he gives to us. Not based on anything, anything that we have done or could do. Not based on our, on our righteousness, not based on our good behavior, not even based on your Bible app consecutive day reading streak. He just gives because he loves us, because he's decided that he loves us. He gives and gives and gives as purely as an act of grace towards us. Think, why on earth has he given us the powerhouse to meet him? As a gift of his grace. We don't deserve a venue like this. We haven't done anything to earn it. 
God has not looked down from heaven on Revelation Church and thought, oh my goodness, they are doing well. I am going to need to provide a new venue for them because they are really crushing it. Equally, he doesn't look down on us and think, oh my goodness, they are doing dreadfully. I better give them something to, you know, kickstart this whole thing. No, he just looks on us with eyes of love. And what he is thinking as he looks on us, as people who have done nothing to earn his favor, is how can I bless them? How can I continue to show the outrageous goodness and grace that I have for them? How can I bless them? How can I reveal more of my nature of being a giving God? And so he expresses his love to us in our world, in our time, in things we care about, in ways that we can understand and perceive and receive the great gift of God. And all of this, of course, it points to the greatest gift. Because you would have noticed in the verse, it doesn't say, for God so loved the world that he gave comfortable chairs or 65-inch TVs or a prime location, a prime venue in a great location. It says, he so loved the world that he gave his only son. His only son. The NIV, you might be reading from that, has it as one and only son, which I think better captures the emotive force of this verse that the Greek is trying to get across. God gave his one and only son. There is so much pathos here. It is loaded with emotion a gift of great cost, of great worth, of great value given to us that we can receive, that God would give us his son. God would give us himself. Because make no mistake about it, this gift was a decision made by the joint will of the triune God in the heavenly realms. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together because they, the Godhead, the very fullness of God, because they so loved, so loved the world, us, Revelation Church, you, Because God loved us, he decided he wanted to give. And the gift that they decided to give would be themselves. That they would give God in the person of Jesus Christ. I know that this is not a new verse for you. For many of us will be familiar but God lo so loves us. Let's just receive it again. <laughs> he so loves us that he gave himself. He hasn't 
given us the technicality of removing our sins. He hasn't given us a a concept of righteousness that we might step into. He hasn't even given us a one-way ticket to heaven from which we can never return. God has given us himself. He gave himself to be born into poverty. He gave himself to the hungry crowds that surrounded him. He gave himself to the sick and the needy that he came across. He gave himself to the disciples, constantly training, investing in them, mentoring them, helping them. He gave himself. He gave himself. He gave himself. He gave himself until he could give no more. And finally, he gave up his spirit for us. He is both the great giver and the great gift. And that in him we find we find eternal life. And uh, <laughs> you think of the idea of eternal life, and you, <laughs> you might think, given the last year, I'm not sure if I want eternity of that kind of life. But again, the, 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 the phrase eternal life in John's gospel is just this beautiful phrase which talks of resurrection life. It is life in all of its fullness. Life in abundance. That it's a bit like we've been looking at in our Sermon on the Mount series, the, the idea of a flourishing life, a full, rich, satisfying life that only comes when we know Jesus, only comes through him. That life stretched out until time is no more for eternity with him. And at this point, we might have to ask ourselves, What else could God do for us to show that he is a God who gives? Uh, Truly, what more could he do? How could he go further to show that he is a God that gives himself? What more could he do to display his goodness and his generosity? As I confessed earlier, I had a, a mild panic when we found out that we weren't able to have our previous venue. I was questioning, God, are are you going to provide this time? I know you've come through before, but this time. I I don't know about you, but I have great blessing amnesia. Any time that God has provided for me, just goes straight out the window when I need him to provide again in my thinking. But I also forget how great it is, how great the gift is that I have already received. That I have received fullness of life in him. Fullness of life. Do you know what fullness of life is? It means it's full. It means that there is no lack. It means that if we have Christ and if we have received Christ, we will never be waiting again for him to provide. That never truly are we waiting for God to act because in Christ we have all we could ever need. In Christ he has provided our fullness. He has provided our all in all. He is our pearl of great price, the one who is worth leaving everything else behind in order to get hold of. And yet, although he's given us all we could ever need in Christ, 
he continues to give. Giving is not just something that he does, but being a giver is who he is. And so he continues to give, pour out his blessing on us as a church. Need a venue? I'll give you a venue. Because it's just who he is. He loves us, so he gives to us. Simple, profound, and transformational. Why does Tozer say that the most important thing that we think, the most important thing about us is what we think of when we think of God? Because when we know we are so loved, and because we are so loved, God just overflows in giving, 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 giving. Well, what does that make us? How does that change us? Well, when you know that, when you really know it, you just become a receiver. You just become a recipient of the goodness of God. You become an enjoyer. You become a delighter. You become a celebrator. You become a worshiper because of all that God has done. We are not strivers. We're not hard laborers. We're not building bricks out of straw in Egypt for a hard master. We're not fighting to try and take from God. We're not trying to loosen his hard grip and hoping that maybe we can extract something from God. Not trying to convince, cajole. I love Jesus' line in Luke chapter 11. He says, fear not, little flock. Fear not, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Good pleasure to give. Oh, to give us what? Oh, just the whole realm of the kingdom of God. His good pleasure to give. Church, we are walking with a God who loves to give, loves to bless, and loves to provide. And we need to hear this at this moment. As we move into post-pandemic living, I know there are many in this room, I know there are many watching along at home where you are feeling fear, you're feeling anxiety. What does my future look like? Is God going to come through for me? These are real fears. We live in very uncertain times. Jesus would want you to hear these words again. It is your Father's good pleasure to give and he has already given so much receive the gift of Jesus Christ again this morning and in this gift of the powerhouse to us as a church family he is again revealing his nature to us as a church I spoke on vision Sunday just a few weeks ago of how he is our good shepherd he's leading us on he's sharing his voice with us that we would follow him and it really is not up to us to see success. As we follow him, he will provide. And here he wants to give us confirmation again of his goodness and his generosity. Because it can be really easy as we go on from here for our confidence to be misplaced. We could look at all of this and think, hey, we've got a wall now. We've got TV screens. And you know, comfortable chairs and things are looking a little bit more established. And we could look to those and think, oh, I think we're going to be okay now. I think we'll do all right as a church. 
easy to misplace our confidence after God has provided so much. Unfortunately, that is the whole story of all of the bad bits of the Old Testament. Essentially, God provides an incredible victory for his people, blesses them abundantly so that they now are walking in blessing. And then they essentially say to God, it's all right, God, we'll take it from here. We're sorted. Probably don't need your generosity and goodness quite so much. You've read that many times in the Old Testament before, I'm sure. That is the confidence trap we could fall into. But what God is wanting us to do is to recognize his goodness, see his generosity, and think he is the God that provides. He's the God that keeps providing, keeps giving, keeps going, and we're going to keep looking to him. We need not look to anything else for our confidence that he is going to achieve all that he has called us onto. How much more confident are you of the mission that God has called us to than you were 12 weeks ago? I'm guessing just a little bit more. I certainly am. Why is that? Because God has revealed to us once again his nature. By his grace, he has given us just a tangible representation that he is with us, he loves us, and so he's going to keep going on giving and giving and giving. outrageously, lavishly, beyond all measure, he has provided. Would the band like to come up? This is the gospel. In Jesus Christ, he has provided for us. He'll keep on providing. We are only, as a church family, beginning to experience the goodness of God, his outrageous provision for us, And as we keep going on, he is going to keep surprising us, keep astonishing us with his generosity. And as we go on, he is going to keep giving us himself. And so this is how I want to end our time. I want us to make space, as I've alluded to before, to receive from him and just allow us to enjoy the gift of Jesus Christ and his poured out Holy Spirit once again as we get to share some space for the first time in some months in a room together to just make a bit of a moment just a few minutes of holy spirit we're here and we want to receive you so we're going to sing one final song of thanksgiving looking to our generous and good god and then i'll be back just to lead us in a few minutes of of receiving from him before we finish so would you like to stand we'll sing one more song together